that diversification from ads platform into subscriptions, commerce, and transactions has been something we've been focused on over the last couple of years, and, and we'll continue to evolve that over the, over the course of the next decade or so. Welcome back to Media Voices, everybody. We take a look at all the news and the views from the media world over the past week. I'm Chris Sutcliffe. I'm Esther Thorpe. And I'm Peter Houston. And that clip you just heard is from my interview with Joanna Lambert, President and GM Consumer at Yahoo. We spoke about the changes at Yahoo over the last couple of years. 900 million users, including a growing Gen Z audience, and Yahoo's revenue strategies outside of advertising. And of course, my ancient Yahoo webmail account. Our main story this week, the FT is launching its own bite-sized news app, the FT Edit. Uh, so the FT is opening its journalism to a wider audience with an introductory price of 99 pence. So FT Edit is going to offer a selection of engaging FT stories, quote-unquote, that will give a deeper understanding of today's world, including in-depth reads, reporting, and analysis on world news, business, science, culture, and more. Effectively, that is just the FT's raison d'etre, isn't it? Uh, but the, the purpose of the FT Edit is to provide an alternative to endless scrolling, allowing readers time to digest 18 point stories selected for them every day uh, it will launch with a strap line time well read so obviously they've stolen our newsletter strategy of only providing four <laughs> most important stories and they've sort of bloated it a little bit which isn't very good of them but let's talk about that price point because 99 pence may as well be free <laughs> let's be real do you no. remember when whatsapp used to cost 99p oh god i do yeah 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 before it was bought that. by facebook yeah 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 but that, that is that is just a nominal fee, really. Of course it, it is, but that's nothing. not the point, right? Mm-hmm. The point is to establish a paying customer relationship. Uh, so the first month is free, and it's ninety nine pence for six months. That I think this is genius. Mm-hmm. They, they've totally. got uh, a social audience of twenty six million human beings. <laughs> I'm assuming they're mostly human beings. Well, some are probably Tories. <laughs> you just beat me to that one. You know, imagine 99 pence from just a percentage of those 26 million people. That's a lot of money. I'm slightly surprised to see this from the FT because their whole brand has been that they are this high price point, almost elite news brand. Mm. Um, I come across the Pay, FT's payable every now and again, you know, maybe like once or twice a month. So nowhere near enough to be able to say, yeah, I'm going to stump up 30 quid. This is the sort of thing that actually, you know, I might try because. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's, you know, the FT's got this reputation for really highbrow financial news that honestly is way over my <laughs> head. <laughs> um, but this is a great way of saying, you know, they've actually got like, you know, you look at their COVID coverage, you look at the, the other world yeah, stuff they do, that definitely. you're not going to want to pay that premium price, price for the financial analysis. And I can't imagine they'll offer any of that in the app. No, But it's just, but, it's just yeah. a way of saying to people, look, you know, we do actually do more world newsy stuff. And I don't want to say this is to put them in competition with the New York Times, but it is almost that sort of trying to broaden it out a little bit and make paid news a bit more accessible, which I think mm. is really, really important at the moment. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, 100%. We're all going to agree on that. But it's interesting that it's so explicitly additive. This is not a kind of a replacement service for what they already offer. This is targeted at new readers. Mm, So the FT editor said, the FT edit showcases the breadth of our journalism in a very digestible and accessible way. I'm delighted that we can bring the FT to new readers. So this is, I think, as you mentioned, a play for that English language speaking audience who are probably looking to uh, New York Times or The Guardian or one of these big English language sites to actually get their news. Do you know what? I can remember Piano did this um, did this piece in the Digiday a couple of years ago where they said you know, if, if, if you've got this chunk of your audience, you're going to have probably less than, it's going to be sort of between 3 and 5% that you can convert to subscriptions. So you know, if you want to make subscriptions sustainable, that's, that's how big an audience you have to have. And they said, you know, there, there's this problem with the rest of this audience. It's not they don't appreciate your work. They're just not ready to have that kind of relationship with you. So increasingly, I think, is, is the subscription, is the competition for subscriptions heats up. I think we're going to see more publishers try things like this, where they're saying, how can we get, how can we get a little bit of money out of that 95%? And yeah. that particular article. I think 5% is wildly optimistic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One um, percent, but I mean that that yeah that particular piece was arguing in favour of micropayments. But whatever route you choose, I think it's this way of just saying, you know, let's let's have a more casual relationship. It doesn't have to be that you're paying us thirty quid a month. Yeah. Um, the one thing that did surprise me slightly about this: eight stories a day is very generous. If you read in eight in-depth stories a day, that's that's a lot of time, right? Yeah, it is. But um, are they in depth or are they? I was going to say, yeah, how much that is just like the top line. It said that they include in depth reads, reporting, and analysis on world news, business, science, culture. I like. I read a lot of stuff, and I I struggle to read eight things in depth a day. But I I don't know. We need to see what this looks like in practice, and I can't unfortunately because I'm on Android, and this is exclusively at the moment for iOS. That is moment. a problem. That is the one thing that is not genius about this. I would just mm. say to anybody looking to do the same thing, look at what happened to Clubhouse. It took them eight months to release an Android version, and basically by the time anybody on Android had got on it, they weren't cool anymore. Yeah, that was nothing to do with freaking I think that was a significant Android. They're because hugely overestimated. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's fundamentally bullshit. Mm. What is this most similar to then? Are we talking about the ticker, which was the kind of this equivalent for the uh, information? Or what happened to that? Is that not still going? Did that quietly get retired? I looked for it and it's not there. I think that the revenue strategy is the same as the ticker. You know, you get a $300 subscription uh, to the information and the ticker was, what, $25? Mm So the revenue uh, strategy is the same. I'm not sure what content was on the ticker. Um, <laughs> and we can't check because it's not there anymore. <laughs> what was it, 2019, 2020? 2019, yeah, I'm just looking at it now. Um, so I think the revenue strategy is the same as that. It has echoes of The Economist's Espresso. Mm. I mean, they've, they've got quite a high price point on that. That's $7.99 a month. But it and changed- the actual yeah, it, it used to be like two ninety nine. Yeah. It used to be quite a cheap one. Um, I don't know why they put that out. If I was trying, well, to I think the content that's on that now is uh, there's a lot more. They do like a there's a daily podcast involved with it, and mm. there's a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, but I is mean that that's not- that's still that's still half the price of the act- of the full Economist subscription. Say, how does that compare to the Economist subscription? Yeah, it's it's it, it's. It depends. It depends when you try and look for the economist deals, but it's less than half <laughs> yeah. the price. 
So again, I think it's it's if no. it's that thing that if you're not looking to commit to a full subscription with the Economist, you've got this kind of it, you know it's it's daily habit again, isn't it? It just comes back to this habit yeah. building and and offering touch points. Um, I think <laughs> the, the, the thing I particularly like about this, and it does come back to why I'm slightly surprised the FT is doing, it, is that it, so much of the news and the paid news subscriptions market at the moment seems to be targeting this kind of elusive business professional, you know, the college graduates, mm. the mm. Um, whatever <laughs> whatever people the Smiths are still trying to target, the people with What's, the, com- what's the company name? I bet I just can remember the name. No, don't look it up. What's the I'm not, company I'm not, name? I remember it. It's Semaphore. Oh, yeah. I couldn't remember that. But there was the never has so it. much been made about so few plans. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's there's an awful lot of what is is quite elite news mm. in the subscription space, and this feels very much like a direct counter to that. You know, this is something that I mean, what twelve quid a year? That's something that possibly not in the UK at the moment with fuel prices, but <laughs> that's something that your average man on the street would look at and be like, "Yeah, all right." Well, we'll give that a set, set a Google alert. It won't be twelve quid a year. Oh, good idea. I mean, I'm, I'll am i sign up for it. I want to see what this looks like well, as soon yeah. as I can. <laughs> so well, Do an Android version. Yeah. As soon as you get a decent phone, yeah. And now news in brief, YouTube apparently has big plans for podcasting. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's already a lot of podcasting on YouTube, right? You've been talking yeah, about Yeah, absolutely. Things. In fact, to the extent that the most listened to podcast in the world at the moment, the Always Sunny in Philadelphia podcast, they started out in audio and within a couple of weeks they went onto YouTube mm. and the listener numbers have exploded again. There's so much podcasting available on that. Oh, don't make me go on YouTube. Well, anyway, it's happening, Peter. Anyway, the, this isn't necessarily about um, sort of just porting stuff to YouTube. This is about YouTube actually having a podcast strategy. Mm-hmm. Pod News is reporting that they've seen a slide deck. <laughs> There's 84 slides in this thing. It's like nobody needs 84 slides for anything. <laughs> anyway, they saw this slide deck and it talks about tighter integration, monetization, and analytics for podcasts. So basically, they'll be pulling RSS feeds straight in, supporting and selling audio ads, and I guess with a revenue share similar to what's already there for YouTubers, uh, and sort of specific, I almost said bespoke and I hate that word, <laughs> specific podcast analytics. Um, unfortunately, if you go to try and find out what's going on to YouTube slash podcast, there's this little cute little monkey 404 and it's still there today. So, I mean, that was a hell of a scoop from Pod News. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Someone's it's obviously the- sent it to them, yeah? Mm. They do some great stuff. Just don't make me do video. Tune in next week for the first <laughs> video episode of Media Voices. Oh, I could be the masked podcaster. <laughs> yeah, how will anybody? Uh, yeah, how, how, anyone how will anybody me? know who you are? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> love the idea that you think you're going to get away with it, and the second you go rapacious capitalism, people go ah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I just realized all our online news and brief are quite platform themed this week, but mine isn't actually directly platform themed. There is a bit of um, publishing in there as well. So it emerged this week that Facebook has paid a, a Republican strategy firm to make up stories about TikTok. You couldn't make this up. Well, the, you, couldn't, you could. You make up, they paid someone to make it yeah. up. You couldn't make up the name of the think tank, which is the most American, Republican American oh, yeah. thing I think I've ever heard. 
Targeted well, victory. Yeah, oh, it's like Operation Enduring Freedom. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, they they paid the think tank to get stories about harmful video challenges, which it basically would cause parents to panic and force their kids to delete the apps. Um, the, the most interesting thing about this for me was that local newspapers in America basically ended up finding themselves a bit complicit in this because part of the strategy was to get these local outlets to cover TikTok trends mm-hmm. that could be dangerous or harmful to young people. Um, there was a big sla- like, sla- like sort of TikTok trend going around that was apparently slap your teacher. And when they looked into the origins, it originated on Facebook. And like TikTok's team literally scrambled to get on this and figure out what was going on. They couldn't find any evidence of it at all. At which point, people were like, "Oh yeah, but your you know your safety teams are rubbish because we read about this in the local paper." <sighs> it's such a mess. Um, you know what really winds me up about this, apart from kind of the, the apart whole from thing, Facebook, <laughs> yeah, is that corporate espionage of this type should be exciting. This should be a film with Julia Roberts <laughs> in like 10 years' time. But it's not. Because the personalities involved, it's just so f***ing boring. Like they, 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 it's like billionaires in space travel. They've taken something that was cool and should be cool and just made it a slog. Yeah, because I mean, wear an oversized cowboy hat. <laughs> you know, you, you look at you know TikTok is currently the biggest app in America among teens. It's a foreign app. There's a lot of questions about data, but they have to kind of resort to making up stories about weird challenges on there. Uh, yeah, but but then Worth okay, down. so here's the here's the annoying thing about this as well. Another one is that a lot of what TikTok does that is bad is around what it does with user data. Now they can't take that angle because it's meta. So they yeah. can't publish. They can't publicize the kind of the, the genuine data issues around this because Meta's doing exactly the same thing. So they're back at trying to create washing pod panics. Yeah, and like Slender Man, Momo, all these kind of odd trends that are going to pop, start popping back up. Well, speaking of Facebook, anyway, <laughs> this one is depressingly predictable, but also quite funny. Facebook was. <laughs> accidentally elevating harmful content for around six months. So instead of demoting it and making it not accessible, uh, instead of suppressing posts from repeat misinformation offenders, um, the newsfeed was actually giving the post distribution. So, uh, quote-unquote, spiking views by as much as 30% globally. That's a big whoopsie. It's a big one. Yeah, yeah, that's what They had it... Someone had plugged it in upside down or something instead of <laughs> instead yeah. of suppressing it, it was amplifying it. Pretty much, yeah. So the um, they it took a team of engineers. Uh, they sort of noticed this in October last year, and then it kept the problem kept coming and going and coming and going and coming and going until it finally came out this week um, that it's <laughs> that their plan to curb misinformation was in fact boosting it. If that doesn't sum up Facebook in a nutshell, I don't know what does. But does it it seem like there's just way more incompetence in the world than there used to be? Or the law of unintended consequences? Mm. That could be, that should be the kind of, we had the Bronze Age and we had the Stone Age. This should be the age of (laughs) unintended consequences. This week I'm speaking with President and GM of Consumer at Yahoo, Joanna Lambert. We spoke about the changes at Yahoo, its aggregation strategy, content plus utility, and how it grew its Gen Z audience off platform. But first we spoke about Joanna's move into media. A lot of my career I spent in financial services, fintech. I was at American Express for a long time and then PayPal. And I actually joined the media industry four years ago. Uh, Joined Yahoo 
actually to lead Yahoo Finance. Um, and over the course of the last four years, my role's expanded. And now, you know, I, I lead an amazing global team that leads a, a lot of the Yahoo brands, Yahoo Mail, Yahoo Finance, Yahoo Sports, Yahoo News. And uh, it's fantastic. I mean, we've, we've got a huge audience, 900 million monthly active users. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's pretty awesome to lead a team that is helping people meet their passions, bringing product to life, whether it's news or data or fantastic you know, utilities to help people connect with their passions. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's what I do every day. I love the idea that you're coming to media at a point where there's so many people trying to leave media. That's a gold star <laughs> in my book. <laughs> um, for me, I, I'm of a certain age. Uh, Yahoo was the original web directory. Um, and my actual first online email account, I still have Yahoo emails from 2002 in my archive. So that's what? That's fabulous. That's 20 years, isn't it? So what you're describing, what you've just described there is very different. Almost a billion users and you've got this destination site. How would you describe Yahoo in 2022? Well, first of all, thank you for being a customer um, <laughs> since the early 2000s. My first uh, email was also Yahoo, Joanna G. Lambert at Yahoo, which I'm very oh, proud of, in the 90s, actually. And look, the good news is is there's a, a lot about Yahoo that is the same in that we have we still have that really laser focus on customer service and you know helping people with their day-to-day lives, helping people keep up with the news and things like that. The thing that's changed at the moment is obviously the, the media landscape as you know, has gone through so much change. And actually, as I said, I've been here four years, but I will say 2020 was, it inspired so much change for the, for the teams and and for all media institutions around the, around the globe. You know, first of all, you know, we, we walked into 2020 with, okay, here's our roadmap for the year and what we're going to (laughs) do. And it changed completely by March. Right. So in 2020, we did, you know, we, we do a lot of live events uh, at Yahoo, you know, again, helping people meet their passions, whether it's in the entertainment field or whether it's with technology. We could produce 60 live events in 2020 mm-hmm. digitally, which were not on the roadmap at the beginning of the year. So yeah. I think one of the things that's really interesting about the media landscape right now is just how quickly we've had to adapt to be able to serve our audiences and make sure that they're, you know, in 2020, 2021, the, the landscape changed. We had to talk a lot more about mental health, about how to get a vaccine, like what's happening in the world. And being a trusted source of information and data became even more important than it has even since when you joined in early, in the early 2000s. How did you kind of pivot to that? Not quite public service, but you know what I mean, that idea that you, you've got to get people sort of critical information. So it started with the necessity, which is everyone had to work from home. So we had to change the the way you just showed up every day at work. So there was, you know, move from daily stand-ups in the office to these sort of, you know, online meetings. Yeah. The thing that didn't change was the need to serve the audience and to work out like really being purpose-driven in terms of what we wanted to do, in terms of being able to show people what they need to know every day and everything else. But the pivot actually happened through basically determining, okay, what do people need and then how can we serve better? And then, I don't know, a little bit of making it up along the way, to be honest, because 
it's it was not i mean as i said it was not a, on the roadmap or on the plan for 2020 or 2021 but as i said the team's enthused they're excited they want to serve this audience and as the the change happened whether it was the beginning of the the pandemic through to you know, keeping people active like yahoo sports for example we had a lot of big events with partners um, around keeping people positive and thinking about their activities and things like that every day, all the way through to doing team yoga events in, in our living rooms at home online. Yeah. It was inspiring. The, the thing that's most, I think, important about it is just how agile and nimble we are and also how everyone just shows up every day and they're interested in the customer and making sure that we serve them the best they can. And, and I think that's something that I'm really proud of. Do you think you'll learn stuff there that you can take forward? It's a great question. Yes. And I actually, what I really hope is that we take a lot of the learnings from what we've had over the last couple of years and use it and deploy it in the future. I'm in the, my first conference, like my first business trip in two years. I forgot how to pack. <laughs> I, we, had, we had cocktails last night and I forgot how to interact with people in real life. But the interesting part is, is taking what we learned in the last couple of years. First of all, one, you can be much better connected globally with an international team and audience through this video chat that, you know, I forgot how to use a telephone. I only now interact <laughs> on video, which probably drives my team crazy because I FaceTime them constantly. You know, I think that there's a lot we learned about A, being agile and also, again, being able to interact and, and motivate teams in different ways that doesn't necessarily require in-person all the time. And I think that that, that nice mix of in-person and having a little bit more flexibility with life at home and, and, and travel, I think that'll, that'll persist in the future. So you go to a kind of hybrid kind of model? Yeah, I think that's one of the things about Yahoo that I'm really excited about in the future is we are, we're looking at the future of work and we're looking at more of a hybrid model. You know, in the past, it was all about showing yeah. up every day and being in the office. Quite frankly, I didn't like working from home. It took me a good six months to actually yeah. get used to it. Um, now I'm, I'm excited. You know, we go in the office. Obviously, it's a voluntary basis at the moment, but we go in the office every other, every other week or every other day, depending on what your yeah. needs are. Um, so definitely that hybrid model. And I think that's going to be really motivating and inspire people to be able to work from anywhere um, as long as they have the same mission which is connecting people to their passion and serving customers every day then we can make it work talking about your audiences you've had some pretty impressive growth on the gen z i hate saying z but gen z doesn't sound right uh, with your gen z audiences how how have you done that because everyone wants to know that secret everyone wants to know how to get the youngsters engaged that's funny i've forgotten whether i say z or z yeah. actually now you've just you've just You've rung Mess in my ears. Head. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> you are. You're messing with my head. Um, actually, one of the 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 younger audience, the Gen Z uh, audience, is actually one of our biggest growth uh, trajectories over the last couple of years. And it actually came through a, a strategy we deployed a, a, probably about two years ago, which was really to meet Gen Z where they are. And so we really opened up the Yahoo platform beyond our own web and desktop and mobile web experience. And we actually started taking our Gen Z reporters and deploying them in different channels like TikTok and Twitter and 
other other channels and it actually worked incredibly well it was during during the pandemic that we started one of a, a a reporter on the news team who was you know on the older edge of gen z um actually went to one of our editors and said look i i really think that this younger audience we can serve them really well they want to know what's happening in the world but they want to hear it from an authentic voice and i think we can do this and actually it was a it was a really great story for us it was we started in tiktok news we now built an audience of about 2 million users on um, Yahoo News on TikTok. And we've then since then deployed it against all of the other categories like Yahoo Sports, Yahoo Finance. And it's actually been a really great strategy for us because it's reintroduced the Yahoo brand, authentic voices talking to authentic audiences, uh, you know, appropriately. And then what's happened is we've then been able to bring those audiences onto the Yahoo platforms to be able to serve them in different categories as well. So it's something that we intentionally focused on it, but it was one of those great stories where, again, it was within the team, people thinking about creative ideas and ways we can serve audiences better. And it's really worked very well. And you use it for other areas like uh, sports and finance? Yeah, definitely. Actually, finance is a really interesting one. Um, particularly over the course of the last couple of years with the volatility in the markets. Um, we saw, and actually this huge growth in retail investing um, through 2020, 2021. Um, we also have grown that audience as well with younger audiences, more female audiences, and actually the um, the off-network channels like TikTok and Twitter and YouTube and others have actually been a really great growth trajectory for us because it, we're, again, introducing the brand or reintroducing the brand for some um, and then bringing them back to the Yahoo experience is great. Obviously, Yahoo has, with sports, we've got amazing data and scores and Yahoo Fantasy. On the finance side, people manage their portfolios on Yahoo Finance, watch stocks, um, get notifications. So we have that nice hybrid of one, information, news, what you need to know, what you didn't know you needed to know but learned to know through to, you know, then able to keep up to date with sports notifications and what's happening. It's a really great hybrid of both product and yeah. we call it utility, yep. but like product and, and, and features as well as um, as content. Looking back and simplifying it, that's the point with email, wasn't it? It was a utility. And then you mix that utility with the content and that it's the same idea. It's just way more sophisticated than it used to be. And actually, email is really interesting because one of the areas that's changed in the last, you know, well, since you and I both got our email accounts at Yahoo, one of the things that's really interesting is, you know, email it's a way of managing your life, you know, and one of the things that's really interesting that's evolved in the last year or two is also like online shopping and and managing your receipts and managing your your finances and one of the things about email that's been really interesting is that you know trajectory into commerce and you know content to commerce and thinking through shopping lists and things like that and that's one of the other areas that we've evolved that utility so to speak to actually be able to serve customers in a better way your content strategy is interesting too. You create your own content, but you also partner with a lot of big names in terms of your journalism content partner strategy. Can you say a little bit about how that works in terms of, I'm more interested in how you decide what not to do than, than what you actually decide to do. So Yahoo is probably, well, is the largest aggregator of content globally. And, you know, um, we have, 
probably about 90% of our content is premium publishers, third-party content, great partners like USA Today, New York Times, Reuters, AP. We're all the way through to um, you know, different publishers that can support all of the needs of every stock ticker in the world yeah. and everything else. And then we have, you know, a, 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 a modest but a very, very impressive team of producers and editors and writers um, within each of the Yahoo verticals that produce content, um, whether it's for the you know, retail investor or sports enthusiasts or day-to-day news readers through to you know, people who are just using Yahoo to check the weather. What we're really proud of is making sure that we're a trusted source of data in, yeah. the, in a world where we have such a huge platform and we have such a global, amazing audience. The thing that's, uh, you know, we take pride in every day as we think about both the curation and aggregation of content as well as how we produce content and distribute it is around being that trusted source and making sure that we're verified what's in the press and what's in our on our pages is authentic and, and true and trustworthy. Being an aggregator means that we can get, you know, the best content in the world to our customers fast. And I think it also makes us a really great partner. I mean, it helps it helps other publishers with great content be able to get fantastic distribution, and it, it definitely is something that we're we're super proud of. Um, and having that first party content, or what we call we call it first party. What I mean is, you know, having amazing editors and producers yeah. within the Yahoo full time employee base means that we can. You know, we can be nimble, we can be fast, we can make sure that we're top of the pile in search and, and make sure that we're really effective in terms of playing in the social media space and things like that. But I think it's that really lovely hybrid of third-party and first-party content that actually really distinguishes us. Yeah. Um, but again, under, under, underpinning all of it is around trusted content and, and making sure that we, even though we are a that great hybrid of a technology company and a media company, we we do have you know that trusted factor, which is something that I'm I think distinguishes us and will distinguish us as we go into the into the future as well. If I think about your revenue strategy, I mean you guys do advertising, you've done advertising for hundreds and hundreds of years, it feels like. But aside from the advertising revenues, what what is your revenue strategy? Yahoo is a combination of Actually, you know, AOL um, and some a lot of the brands that AOL acquired, like TechCrunch and Engadget, Autoblog, and then obviously the Yahoo brands as well. One of the things, uh, one of the strategies we deployed probably about three or three years ago, maybe three or four years ago, was really diversifying our strategy beyond just ads into areas like subscriptions. So. When I was with Yahoo Finance, predominantly working only on Yahoo Finance, we built Yahoo Finance Plus, which is a a subscription product for the retail investor. Um, TechCrunch, we built a subscription product for the TechCrunch enthusiasts. We've since built Yahoo Fantasy Plus. So that subscription model um, where we have these deep enthusiasts and able to super serve them with subscription products. That's been one of our diversification strategies around revenue, but even more importantly, to be able to provide that greater experience for customers. The second part of our strategy around diversification has got to do with commerce, which is, you know, I mentioned before around content to commerce. We have a lot of people showing up every day looking for ideas, like what they want to buy, what the best thing to do is, okay, how can we 
seamlessly show people how to, you're reading about a mattress, buy the mattress, yeah. or you're looking at sunglasses, buy the sunglasses. Yeah. Um, and, and particularly in the um, email category, that's been a huge growth trajectory for us. And then the third one is around transactions. In the US, sports betting opened up a couple of years ago. And through a partnership with BetMGM, we actually have now got this 360 approach to sports enthusiasts or even sports likers where you know it's content it's scores daily fantasy season-long fantasy and now we actually complete that loop with betting as well so you can actually in the states where it's legal here in the u.s which is a, you know, about a dozen you can actually do sports betting so that diversification from ads platform into subscriptions commerce and transactions has been something we've been focused on over the last couple of years and, and we'll continue to evolve that over the, over the course of the next decade or so. It's interesting you're talking about what's legal in, in particular states. I think of Yahoo as this kind of international brand, but do you have to act very locally on some of this stuff? Oh, totally. I mean, we're global, which is great because we have incredible reach and we can serve you know a huge audience uh, with a lot of great content, great data, great services from also other global partners as well. But the local piece is really important. Even things like the you know terms of service and regulations and everything else, like you do actually have to have that that local know-how to make sure that you're not just you know serving folks in a, in the appropriate way, but also that that local knowledge that you need like that. And that's where the on the ground team makes an incredible difference to make sure that even though you're, we're a global audience and a global company, that we have that local know-how and a way to be able to position things and, and, and serve audiences in a way that's really relevant to them. So you're in Arizona. I'm assuming first time in two years, you'll be talking about the future rather than the past. Uh, what's exciting you most about what's what's going on, the sort of stuff that's in the pipeline? What's exciting is doubling down on the strategy we have, which is around trusted content and then building out these areas like commerce and uh, subscriptions and being able to to round out the transaction, you know, whether it be sports betting or other things. In the media landscape right now, though, the thing that's exciting me is around what's going to happen with all of these immersive formats. And again, we're a media company and a technology company. We actually have one of the the largest and 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 one of the first immersive um, platforms in house here at, at Yahoo. So working with both partners as well as our our editorial teams, we've been using this groundbreaking technology to be able to tell stories in a much more compelling way through this sort of like immersive experience, 3D and everything else. And as I think about the future of where Web 3.0 is going um, and the metaverse mm. and everything else, I think this this is an area that's really, it's really interesting. It's really interesting to me and um, very interesting to the team. Our audiences love it too. Like our immersive content is consumed like four or five times more than standard content, which I think is really interesting, um, particularly in that younger category like Gen Z. And the other thing that's really interesting is, uh, you know, in, in particular brands like, you know, Yahoo Sports, obviously the evolution of the sports betting um, market is is very interesting and in where that goes over the next three to five years. And on Yahoo Finance, you know, we have a lot of people, uh, we're, we're investing a lot more time and resource into crypto and some of these new new categories that are that are emerging and audiences love it and and being a great 
brand that can help people with the, I don't know, how to, what yeah. is, <laughs> um, you know, and helping people with that is something that's really exciting. So there's both a little bit of the unknown yeah, in the metaverse yeah. and where we go there. There's sort of more of the same, but it's interesting in things like crypto and sports betting and, and, and the evolution of all of these new categories. And then continuing to do what we do well, which is be a trusted brand and get people the information they need. Talk about immersive content. How would you describe that? What, how do people access it? What do they get from it? What, what's the sort of, what's the benefit and the novelty of it? It's very mobile first. It's a way to be able to put people into a situation that the written word or imagery doesn't show. So you can actually start to feel what it's like to be at a sports game. Or actually one of the ones that we just recently did, we've been a partner of New York Fashion Week for the uh, innovation partner for New York Fashion Week for the last two years. And working with some amazing designers, we've been able to bring a global audience into a, a fashion week experience where they can at home, you know, see imagery, feel like they're walking through a fashion week experience, um, which is not just great for the customer because they can sort of get a sense of what's actually what it feels like to be in those sorts of situations. It's also been amazing for partners because, you know, a brand like Rebecca Minkoff was able to showcase her collection to a global audience not just even a global audience, but even in the pandemic, she was able to showcase her her collection to an audience that couldn't be in real life in person in New York. So it's a it's a fantastic storytelling tool, and I think it's going to be uh, something that we'll continue to work with partners to be able to make sure that people can can continue to to see to see this sort of storytelling in the future. We ask all our guests for a recommendation that they can share with our listeners. What would you recommend? I love podcasts and I listen to a lot of podcasts every day, mostly news related, a lot of our own podcasts. But one that's fun, it's a little bit mindless, but fun is a, a podcast, which I do when I go for my walks and just sort of want to you know, decompress. It's called Only the Rich. Um, it's too... Um, I think they were car park attendants in LA or something, and they I love did, it already. <laughs> it's it's amazing. It's it's just again they tell stories. They go through like very very wealthy families and tell stories about everything from Britney Spears through to the the Kennedys. And it's a great walk and listen. So just to let you know that we are going to be on Easter break as of this week. So we're going to be back later on in April, but the daily newsletter is continuing apart from bank holidays. You can get that by going to voices.media and signing up. While you're there, why not kick us a couple of quid by going to voices.media slash support. Everything you can give is very, very gratefully received. And maybe that will actually help us to fund these t-shirts that we're talking about. <laughs> but while we're on a break, um, we won't actually be on a break. Well, I won't be on a break anyway. I don't know what you two are doing. Um, we are gearing up for the third year of the Publisher Podcast Awards. So that is happening on April the 27th in London, which I think is going to be the first time I'm going to see you guys in two two years. Anyway, if you want to join us there, you don't necessarily have to be shortlisted. It's going to be a great night either way. Um, you can get your tickets at publisherpodcastawards.com slash tickets. I think there are like two tables left now. Mm. And I've also ordered the most epic centerpieces for them. So. 
But until we're back with another episode later in the month uh, with a fantastic guest and another tour through all the news and views from the media world, thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Bye.